The following is a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. And before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. And these stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Welcome to the ninth gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 23rd of May. I'm your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and make sure you have your Thaco calculated correctly while you're gathered at the meeting table because that's very important and a very convoluted way to figure out how you can hit another person in a, in an RPG. Good times. Well, today we find ourselves without a guest. So we figured that we would take some time and just discuss some of our favorite card games, board games, and role-playing games. And we're going to pick one of each. So we're not going to drone on and on about something. We're going to Uh, or a number of somethings. There's going to be six items between the two of us, and we're just going to discuss what we like about the games, maybe some downsides to the games, things we'd like to see improved, and, um, you know, why we like it so much. And uh, joining me on this great adventure is my second-in-command here at the Adventure Party, and that is Glenn Bittner. He is a movie reviewer uh, with his show tube... (laughs) YouTube channel, (laughs) the B-Movie Bunker, Naked Hobo Productions, and he's the creator of the RPG Mist Runner. How are you, Glenn? I always have been and always will be your friend. (laughs) For those of you who are not checking out the video feed, which uh, I encourage you to do, check us out on YouTube.com slash Galactic Netcasts, and you can see... Uh, the Adventure Party number nine. You can see that in the uh, background uh, of me is a, it's a digitally printed Enterprise shooting phasers, and this is the classic Trek Enterprise. Now, the interesting thing about it, and it's a, a smaller canvas that's framed. The interesting thing about it is it has LED lights inside of it. So when you flick the on switch, you can see that the uh, the nacelles and the, I can't even remember what the heck that is, the, the, the phaser array on the underside of the saucer. The and bottom that, uh, bubble part, that's what I call it. That's, <laughs> that's a technical Scotty term. <laughs> and uh, a few of the stars light up as well. So, uh, yeah, that's what that's all about. Now that I put that back and out of the way, we can get on with the shenanigans and... We didn't really get feedback on whether folks wanted us to keep uh, news stories in the mix. So what we decided to do is we're going to keep Ryan Murphy's news that he does, the Galactic Gaming News. But uh, we decided that we are going to forego the news stories that we were doing. And Glenn is going to review a game for us. And 
from what I can see, you've got kind of a cool game, and I would like to know more about it. Then I shall tell you about this wonderful game. It is called Colt Express, brought to us by the lovely people at Asmodee. uh, Asmodee. Uh, The designers are, and I'm going to butcher these names because I butcher all names, Christopher Rainbolt and Jordi Valbuena. It is a train robbery game set in the Old West. A couple of things I really like about this one. First of all, you actually get a freaking train. You got to put it together, but you get a little train with little wood cowboy meeples that you put on it. <laughs> you actually move all the, the game board is this little train, and you, depending on how many players you have, determines how many cars you're going to use. The other thing I like is a game I used to love a lot, but also got frustrated by a lot was Robo Rally. Yes. And the frustrating part is that some people get that analysis paralysis and take forever to plot their damn moves. Yeah. So this one kind of uses a similar programming uh, function like RoboRally does, but the way it works is every player has an action deck, and you're going to draw cards from your action deck each turn. Now, these could be uh, moving back and forth on the train, uh, moving to the roof or back inside the train. It could be shooting another player, picking up loot, because they're just, as it is in trains in the West, they're just loot laying all over the floor, or punching people, which will make them drop loot. Now, the tricky part is, is that over the course of each round, you're going to have specific number of actions you're going to be able to do. So, for example, you might have one round, you might have four actions. And what that means is, so the first player is going to take one of their action cards from their hand, and they're going to put it on the action deck. That's going to go to the second player, and they're going to put an action on the action deck. And you go around until everyone has done an action for each of the phases of that turn. So if there's four phases, everyone's going to put four cards into the action deck, alternating via players. You then flip that over, and then you resolve all those actions. So you have to kind of pay attention to what people are doing. And depending on where the train is, those action cards will be added to the deck either face up or face down, because sometimes the train goes through a tunnel, and you can't see what people are doing. So those cards (laughs) are placed face down. So you have to prepare, because the only way to get loot is if there is loot in your car. So if I play a pick-up loot card, and you're after me, and you play a pick-up loot, but there's only one in the car, I picked it up, there's nothing for you to grab. Or if I try to punch you, but before I can punch you, you move out of the car, it doesn't do anything. Sure, yep. The other thing I like is that, so you can shoot other players. And when you shoot them, you don't actually do damage to them. You have up to six bullets that you can shoot. And when you shoot someone, you give them a bullet card, and that gets shuffled into their action deck, making their deck less useful and less efficient. Sure. Yep. And to top it all off, you also have the marshal who is moving around the train. Uh, the marshal is actually, you can move him by playing an action card that moves the marshal. And his tricky thing is that if he enters the car as anyone else, he shoots everyone in the car, and they all get a bullet from the marshal, and they all have to run to the roof. So the marshal can really screw up your plans. There will also be special things that may pop up on turn cards as well. Like one, the marshal gets enraged, and he'll shoot anyone who's on the roof above him, which means you can get shot twice by the marshal in one turn. Because he may come into your car, shoot you, you run to the roof, and then at the end of the turn, if you're still there and he's pissed, he's going to shoot holes through the roof and hit you again. (laughs) Even worse. I like this one a lot. And you get each player gets their own bandit, and each one comes with a specific skill. There's, like, one guy, if he uh, shoots you, he knocks you back a whole train car. Someone else, the only way to make people drop loot is you you punch them, and they'll drop loot in the train. There's one character, if she punches them, they don't drop it, she just steals it. 
So everyone has their own special skill. I like this one a lot. It plays really quick, too. Even with people who take a bit more time thinking, you're still looking at maybe a 45-minute game only. And it's, it's one I really like. It, it looks beautiful. I mean, like I said, you get an actual train, which is, it can be a little tricky to put together. But the other nice thing is, is once it's put together, it all stores right back in the box, assembled. You don't have to take it apart. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I like this one a lot. I've always, I've always liked Westerns in general. And I like, I'm, I'm liking a lot more of these, these quicker games where when I get together with friends, I can play four, five, six, seven games in an evening or, you know, in a day. And this one really fits the bill. And it's, it's enough, there's enough going on where you can get some good strategy going. So for people who, who are more hardcore gamers, they get something out of it. But it's simple enough where people who aren't big gamers can still get into it and have fun with it. And then this one actually, they just announced this last week, the nominees for the Spiel de Jar, which those who aren't familiar with that, that is kind of like the Oscars of gaming. It's a German award. Germans play board games like Americans uh, own guns. So this one just got nominated uh, as one of the Spiel de Jar. I think it's, in my opinion, it's the best of the ones that are nominated, and hopefully it will win. But I love it. It's a great, fun game. Very, very interesting. Oh, and it's for two to six players, ages 10. Oh, okay. See, that's the thing that I always... Because you, you, you showed the box for a brief second, and I was like, ooh, that looks like a, you know it needs like four or five people to play, but two people, that's... that's you can do two. I haven't done two myself yet. I've done as low as three, and that works fine. The more players you have... Because I've, I've done a couple six-player, it gets pretty crazy. Because there's people just going everywhere, and you got to pay attention to everyone. In a three-player, it's a little easier for someone to isolate themselves off from the pack, and they can gather up a bunch of loot. So two-player, I think you're going to have a lot less interaction, um, unless you're really vindictive and you just constantly chase the person around the train, <laughs> punching sure. and shooting them. Yeah. So. <laughs> nice. Or spite. <laughs> who who plays it like that out of spite? <laughs> Never. That that's. That's yeah. crazy talk. That's ever. <laughs> uh, I think we've all been in that game. All <laughs> right. Well, thank you very much for that, Glenn. Absolutely. Uh, next, we're going to uh, get our Galactic Gaming news from Ryan Murphy, and he is a regular contributor to Galactic Netcasts, and he covers more of the digital beat of gaming news, and he's got an update for us. So take it away, Ryan. Welcome to Galactic Gaming News for the week of May 20th. I'm your host, Ryan Murphy. Let's take a look at the headlines from out of this world. First up, we have a warning message. Beware the rising tide of Beyond Earth. The first expansion to Civilization Beyond Earth hits this fall and the theme is all about water. The water focus opens up a whole new world with new aliens and player mechanics, including submarines. What's not to love about science fiction submarines? Also new to the expansion is a completely reworked diplomacy system. We're not talking about a few extra buttons, we're talking about a ground up rebuilding of the diplomacy system. That's actually really cool. I'm glad to see that. If you're looking to head back into deep space, be sure to pick up Rising Tide for $29.99 this fall. Second story of the week, we have Casey Hudson taking on Xbox and HoloLens. The lead behind the original Mass Effect trilogy has found a new home. After leaving Bioware, Casey Hudson has been quiet on what he'll do next until now. He has joined Microsoft to work on Xbox and HoloLens. 
Not only will he be helping the HoloLens team build a great product, Casey will be shaping the future of Xbox titles to be the best they can be. If he applies that Mass Effect magic to HoloLens, I'm there. Seriously though, if we could get like the UI from the Mass Effect games into the HoloLens like as a skin or something, that'd be super cool and I hope we can do that because I've always wanted to be Commander Shepard in real life. That would be awesome. Finally, we have a fantasy game for our science fiction fantasy pick of the week. It's The Witcher 3 and it's out for everybody, yay! This week, our new release is fantasy-based, as I mentioned, with The Witcher 3, an open-world RPG based on the Polish book series of the same name. You play as Geralt, a witcher in search of an old protege, Ciri, and ultimately probably trying to save the world because that's what you do in open-world RPGs. Seriously though, I'm about 10 hours into the game and really enjoying it. If you've been itching for a heavy RPG story with great gameplay and plenty to explore, this is the game for you. We'll be recording a Gamers In this week where I'll be giving my first impressions on the game. It's a huge title. Lots to explore. I've just scratched the surface. I just finished the first area and the first of what appears to be five or six. And the story is fantastic. I love interacting with the characters and, uh, and seeing different things. But definitely pick this one up and definitely tune in to GamersInPodcast.com very soon when we'll be posting first impressions of the title. This has been Galactic Gaming News, a weekly segment for Galactic Netcasts. For everything I do, go to ryanmurphy.ca or follow me on Twitter, at rmurphy. If you're interested in more video game goodness, like I've said above, be sure to check out The Gamers Inn at gamersinpodcast.com. This week, like I said, we'll be talking about Witcher 3 and also Life is Strange, which is very kind of science fiction because it has time travel in it. That's science fiction, folks. It's going to be a spoiler episode, so if you haven't caught up with Life is Strange, episode 3 just came out this week. Be sure to get caught up before listening to that. Each week, Jocelyn Moff and I run down the games we've been playing, chat industry news, and take questions or comments from listeners like you. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Thanks for that, Ryan. Appreciate it. Uh, next, we're going to go to our Kickstarter starter spotlight, and we want to do a quick recap from last week. Our... Kickstarter spotlight last week was Defenders of the Last Stand. Haha. It plays one to five players, and it's really cool to see a game that uh, we talked about this last time that you can play by yourself, and that's that's okay. And they they had fifty five yes out of they, their original fifty they wanted yes. So they have beaten their goal by over $5,000 with 16 days left to go. So this is definitely a go. Uh, you still have time to get in on this thing. And it is 65 bucks now. Again, like we said for, <laughs> said for our last game that we talked about, Warfare, uh, for what you get... I mean, these the, the figures that they have representing the characters are pretty pretty nice looking, and yes, it is definitely a post apocalyptic feel. Great looking board, holy crap! So at this point, they have unlocked their first stretch goal, which is three extra heroes. So you get more of a choice from the original. Let's see, the original one, two, three, four, five, and now you're up to eight. So that's really, really cool. For $81, you get 
additional stuff here that would be a total of 18 dice. So you get specialized dice. That's nice. And looking at the, the overall setup, getting specialized dice that kind of fits with the overall theme, that, that's not a bad deal. Let's see, there's 16 minor artifacts, 16 mission cards. There's plenty of things to do in this game. I mean, even if you're playing up to the five people, I I don't see if they have, with the extra heroes unlocked, if that actually gives you the ability to play with more people. I don't see that on the list here. All right. So pay your money in the next 16 days. You can get in on this definitely 100% funded game on Kickstarter, and it looks pretty damn good. But our next game that we're going to talk about... Nadara, which is a 1-5 to cooperative storytelling board game. Another one with uh, some nifty-looking minis. This one has 31 days to go. Oh, excellent! Um, Trying to raise 35000 they already have $69,000. The minis look really cool on this one. It looks, uh, from what I have seen... Okay, give you a, a basically background of the game first. So... The world of Madara. It's a land of magic and monsters where no one ages and treasures abound and your average citizen knows what a cell phone is. And it's a choose-your-own-style adventure miniatures board game. To explore this ultra-modern fantasy setting as you face moral dilemmas, battle lethal opponents, pursue personal goals, and make strategic and political decisions that can radically change the outcome of the game. Some characters may die, some may fall or fail, others will hopefully succeed. It all comes down to your decisions. Currently, the game has over 20 hours of narrative-driven content with uh, hundreds of unique abilities and items. It's got a, a pretty interesting-looking dice combat-based system. And just, you get a lot of stuff in here. I mean, so the base game, you know, obviously, you get a rule book. I always love it. I say, you get a rule book. That's great. I like having rule books with my games. Uh, you get the adventure book. You get four hero figures, 22 antagonist figures, 17 custom dice, a whole bunch of cards. My gosh, there's a ton of cards. And... Four adventure cards, 13 antagonist cards, 365 small cards, 70 tarot size cards, 35 game board tiles, and 168 tokens. They're cramming a lot of stuff into this box. Um, yeah, and the art looks really good on the, for, for what I can see uh, for the cover and such. Now, this is not a cheap one to get in on. It's $100. Uh, that gets you the base game, plus they have an exclusive uh, mini and that also will get you any unlocked stretch goals. And that will ship anywhere in the world. I'm assuming our world, not the world of Madara, because I don't know if anyone <laughs> who lives in Madara would want to buy this game, because they live it, man. They live it. So, but just, I'm, I'm looking at some of these figures. It has kind of an anime-ish style a bit to the figures. A little bit, you know, kind of like, I can't think of those, those games that I hated my roommate playing. The Final Fantasy games. A little bit of a look kind of like those, I think. And just, I mean, man, just so much stuff. $20 extra, you can get uh, custom card mats for each player. $30, you get an 80-page art book. And the art looks, I mean, the art in the art book looks really good. you got sketches, you got full-color art. They've got special promo dice you can add on. And then the stretch goals. So, first of all, there's the exclusive Nyx figure looks, I don't know, some chick with bat wings and stuff. That's already been unlocked. If you get the game at the $100 level, you're already getting that. They've already got the uh, box includes an extra set of six ridiculous high fantasy weapons. That's been unlocked. 
They've got an extra of six weapons with a monitor flare. That's already unlocked. The Soul Butcher figure, already unlocked. Wow, that one looks really cool, too. Big demon with giant heads and looks like a kind of bone-shaped chef's hat. The uh, grotesque effigy figure, already unlocked. The Spirit Blade rule and rules, already unlocked. And there's tons of these already unlocked. So coming up that they're working on next is the Elifi figure and rules. So, and there's more figures after that and after that and after that. And just lots of stretch goals. And they have 31 days to go. So I think they're going to hit, I don't know if they'll hit all of these, because we got stretch goals going up to, wow, over $200,000. So they have really planned out the stretch goals. I mean, like I said, they've already, they're already at 69000 and you know, they've got over a month to go. It, it looks like a lot of fun. I mean, I'm really digging. I like I like games with minis. But that's that's a thing for me, especially <laughs> any – I don't – the one thing I'm not seeing is the scale of the minis. That's always a big thing for me. I like to know what the scale yeah, is because yep. if I can double duty – duty – if I can get uh, double use out of minis, I can use them in other games. That's fantastic. Oh, here it is, 32 millimeter. That's great. I can use that with most other yep, games I play. Pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Pretty just close. the figures just look really. The, the sculpts look really good. God, that I mean, Shadow Lord looks just ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, this one. This was the other one I was looking at, and yeah, it just. You know, I need a credit card that I'd never have to pay back to <laughs> just for Kickstarter. Does such a thing exist? Because that's what I want. Yeah. I think that's uh, called getting a sugar mama, my friend. Yeah. That's what I got for the Kickstarter this time. It looks really cool. And it's, uh, it's Succubus Publishing. I don't know what else they've done, but... Guy, uh, he apparently uh, so Brooklyn Lundberg is the one behind this. Uh, he used to make games for PlayStation Three. Right. Well, yeah. I, looking at the art, that does looking not. Looking at the art, me. it makes sense. And then Alex Hansen is the lead art director, graphic designer. Apparently, they've teamed up since high school. <laughs> so yeah. There you go. Nice. This one, this one looks cool. Anyway, like I said, the artwork looks great. Definitely, definitely put some effort into this. And they've got other games already, too, that they apparently already made. Or at least one. So, yeah, this looks really cool. And you can even go to the succubuspublishing.com, and they've got a gallery of more artwork of, of the different characters in the game, the different antagonists, uh, pick, more pictures of the minis. I mean, just lots of cool-looking stuff. Yeah, and just for clarification, Midara is spelled M-I-D-D-A-R-A. So do a search on Kickstarter for M-I-D-D-A-R-A, Madara, by Succubus Publishing, and prepare to get your socks knocked off because, damn, this is very nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the sculpts are clean. I mean, I've, I've seen some games where the sculpts, you know, and maybe that's why they went with 32, because once you start shrinking down a little bit more, maybe you lose some of the detail. If you're, you know, depending on who's doing your molds and actually manufacturing your, your figures, these are definitely uh, plastic figures, but they are very, very high quality plastic figures. Holy crap. Just gorgeous. Yeah. And they're, they're using 3D printing to uh, make the prototypes. That's cool. That's one of the things I really dig about 3D printing is, you know, if you are testing your game, 
you can, you know, take the files that, that are produced for the actual figures and you can actually print them out and actually give them a run. And for the cost of 3D printers now and the resolution that they can hit, uh, some of them are just ridiculous for... And when I say low cost, yeah, I'm talking about four grand. But <laughs> considering where these started out at, four grand's a steal. So, no, oh, very nice. I'm glad you found this. this thing of beauty. Madara. All right. What we're going to do now is we are going to jump into our discussion of, and as I named this particular meeting, uh, a few of our favorite things. We are going to pick a card game, a board game, and an RPG system that we enjoy and kind of talk about why we enjoy them and why we think perhaps you would enjoy them. And just to you know, introduce people to some people to, to to some things that they might not be aware of or have not tried before, and get a little bit of an uh, an insight into what these particular games are about. And if you have played them before, then you're kind of in on the action. You you definitely understand what we're talking about, why we think they're our favorite things, and you can you know also you can contact us at galacticnetcasts at gmail.com and let us know uh, your thoughts as some of your favorite things that you like about uh, games that maybe we didn't mention. We're uh, definitely up to talk about that. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with talking about card games and I am going to have you go first, Glenn. What is your favorite card game and tell us a little bit about it and why you like it. All right. Well, because I play a lot of games, my favorites are constantly changing at least as far as board and card games go. So right now, the card game I am enjoying the most and that is currently sitting on top of my favorite list is called Abyss. Who's the company that makes it? Bombix. But Abyss is... you. It's set in an undersea kingdom where the Pearl Throne is up for grabs and you're all vying for control over it. Now the first thing that drew me to this game is the artwork is absolutely stunning. It's just... Gorgeous, gorgeous artwork on every single card. There's beautiful artwork. Now, so that's what drew me, drew me initially. I, I had a friend who played it until he liked it. I saw the, the art, and I'm like, all right, I'll buy it, hoping it was it was at least a decent game. And it's actually, it's a great game. So each turn, you can uh, recruit these different little guys who will help you um, basically bring different nobles over to your side because the nobles are how you actually win the game is you get influence points from these nobles. And I just, I love the fact that every single noble is unique. They each have their own name. Almost all of them have a special power. And every special power is different from everyone else's. So you don't get lots of repeats of the same guys. Um, and then there's these great-looking locations. And you get, so the currency is pearls. And you actually get a ton of actual little pearls. And these little plastic clamshells to keep your pearls in as your currency. It just it's such a a fun game. There's there's a lot of different things you can do because a lot of it depends on which nobles pop up. And just like I said, beautiful, beautiful artwork. And it looks like a type of place that Hellboy could show up. <laughs> yeah, I should say Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy could show yes. up at any moment and be like, you know, hey, I'm Ron Perlman being Hellboy. <laughs> so yeah. I like it a lot. It's two to four players. It's it's pretty new. It just came out late last year. 
and, and, and Brad has left me, and I'm all alone, and I don't know what to do. So. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to grab my stuff too. That uh, yes, that are my um, yeah. I just I, I for the first time I saw it on the shelf. I'm like, that looks like such a cool game. As we talked about in an earlier episode, you know the importance of art and does art affect you buying stuff? It definitely affects me buying stuff. I have the advantage some people don't have is that some games I get to try before I, I buy them. So if the art is less appealing and it's still a great game, I might know that. But sure. yep. I didn't wait to find out this game. Friends said it was good. I'm like, all right, good enough for me. It looks beautiful. I'll buy it. And I have not been disappointed. And I have probably introduced about geez, close to 20 people to this in the last two months. Not a single person has been disappointed by it. Nice. So what is your favorite card game, Brad? My favorite card game is, it started out as a cheap-ass game, and it created by James Ernest. I guess. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Is it Lord of the Fries? No, it is or, not. Okay, which one is it? It's Give Me the Brain. Okay. Now, I got the special edition. Aha! The thing about cheap ass, and we've talked about them before, the entire setup of cheap ass is to give you a game that is very inexpensive, very fun to play, has a high replayability value. The thing about it is, the criteria for the game is that maybe you grab money from your Monopoly game. Maybe you grab dice from another game. Maybe you grab you know, poker chips. Maybe you grab something else that's added to the game, but what you get are the rules and anything else that you can't get anywhere else. Okay. And the nice thing about this game is that all you need to play this game is the deck, a six-sided die, and something that represents a brain. Now, I have a foam, what is it, like a, a stress reliever? thing but it's in the shape of a brain and i actually have a while back i bought a uh a, like a plastic skull model and it's designed for like you know uh in schools to talk about bone structure and you know the brain and whatever and where things go <laughs> anatomy wise uh inside the head and uh with it came uh, the brain, and it's you know obviously not to scale. It is much smaller in size, but it uh, has two hemispheres. So I ended up gluing the hemispheres together, and it's a kind of a disturbing thing that you can pass around the table when you play the game. Now, if you are looking at the uh, YouTube video version of this, you're actually going to see a little bit of this. Now, the box is, is pink in color, obviously, because the brain is perceived to be pink, which uh, we actually know is not pink. But each of the cards have you give you the uh, either a job that you need to do, and the whole premise of this is that you are a zombie. And you are a zombie that works in a fast food restaurant. And in order to do some of the jobs in the restaurant, you need to use a brain. And there is one brain that is passable between everybody in this particular restaurant. 
So in order for you to win, you need to do a number of jobs and that way you can <laughs> score points. Uh, you get the ability, you have to bid for the brain though. So when you bid and win the brain, then you can do some of these jobs and, and start scoring some points. But uh, the artwork on these is just amazing. Like, give me the brain. I must replace the light bulb. And yeah, I'm showing this on YouTube here, but it's the zombie with light bulbs in his mouth and his two ears. <laughs> Anyways, <clears throat> yes, it's a visual thing. If you're listening to this, it's probably annoying as hell, and I apologize. But again, the the art and the simplicity of this particular game is wonderful. And if you can get the special edition like I have where they actually took the time and spent the extra money to get these things printed in full color uh, for you to enjoy and uh, and use, I highly recommend it. It is a wonderful game that you and, what, uh, it's three to eight players? Yeah, three three to eight players and about 15 minutes for a game. So if you want to play a few games with uh, with some of your friends that, you know, isn't like with a board game where sometimes, you know, like like us talking about the Game of Thrones board game where by hour eight, you're almost done. You know, this is a game that does not have that kind of time investment involved. It's fast paced. The rules are very simple, pretty straightforward, and you can play a number of games and, and have a good time. So. That is my pick. Give me the brain by Cheap Ass Games. All right. Let us talk about our favorite board game. So, what is your favorite board game? Currently, my favorite board game is Yggdrasil. It is from Z Man Games. You, it's a cooperative game where you are all playing the Norse gods. So, you get to be Thor or Freya or Odin, um, and you are trying to stop Ragnarok. Okay. So constantly marching on Valhalla is Loki and Fenrir and Droming under the World Serpent and Hell, and you have a lot of different things that you have to keep track of. You've also got giants that will pop up and eliminate some of the area you can go to because you can move around the, the, the board collecting various things. You can uh, get elves to help you uh, fight in battle, as well as pulling men, uh, basically Viking warriors, uh, to come and aid you when, when you're trying to do battle. You can uh, send the Valkyrie, or the Valkyries go off and, and claim these people for you. Um, you can upgrade your weapons so you can get Mew Mew, uh, sorry, Mjolnir, and Odin's spear and, and all that stuff. I, I and, almost nosed my grapefruit juice. <laughs> Why do you think I did that? Um, <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate uh, it. So, I mean, it's each of the of the main villains has a specific weapon that they're weak against. So, uh, Mjolnir you use against the World Serpent, um, just because that's you know that's what Thor does. He hits the World Serpent with his hammer. It's a great cooperative. It's hard. It really is a challenging game. I have not won that often. I think I've won twice out of about twelve plays. Oh, wow. Now, uh, the first two I don't really count because we were playing on the hardest difficulty without realizing it. And you can also play this one solo. It does have it does have a one player, oh. which I also like, because, again, at times I have no friends who are <laughs> who are nearby and can play games. I have lots of friends. They're just 
not in my house. <laughs> so, and I've always just, I mean, I'm, I've been a, a big mythology buff since I was a little kid, since my dad uh, printed, uh, he worked for a binder that made all of the Enchanted World books from Time Life Books. So I got those all free as a kid, and I read them just like mad. And especially the Norse mythology has always really been a big thing with me. I mean, and this is, it was big before I even knew that I that I had Norwegian ancestry. I just something about Thor and and uh, Odin and his ravens and all just you know the Valkyries just always really uh, struck a chord with me as this kind of the gods were flawed. And you you have that with with Greek mythology too. A, a lot of the, the other ones where they're super powerful, but they're still flawed. They still they love and they hate and they have jealousy and you know and compassion and and anger and all that stuff. And I, lo I that's one of the things I've always loved about them. And any game that I can find that's well made that deals with Norse mythology or Vikings and doesn't have fucking horns on their helmets, which they never had. <laughs> I will, I will, I will gladly pick it up and give it a try. And this one has not disappointed. It's not going to be for everyone with cooperative games. Sometimes you can get the alpha gamer. I have, I have fallen victim to being that myself more than once or twice of the person who will tell everyone else what to do. Okay. Now you're going to want to go and you're going to want to go get, some some guys from the, with the Valkyries, and then you're going to want to go get an elf, and then you're going to want to fight this guy. Okay, now it's my turn. Okay, now it's your turn again. Now you're going to do the this game. That can happen a lot, so you know you have to make sure that if you are that person, take it down a notch. And if that person is in your game, call them out on it because most of the people who are alpha gamers like that, if you call them on it, they don't even realize they're doing it, or they know that that's something they do. But if you call them on it, they'll be like, oh yeah, sorry. What do you think you should do? If they're a good friend, they'll listen to your advice. If not, they'll sit there and grumble and be like, well, I guess you don't want to win, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is my, my favorite board game. Uh, and just the name, Idrisil, the World Tree. Just sure. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> See, it, my mom got me into uh, mythology too as a kid. So... Yeah, I think I've got. I still have a copy of Bullfinch's Mythology that that that, oh. my, that my mom got me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's over thirty years old, so it's it's seen some wear and tear. All right, well, no, that's that's a really cool sounding game, and yeah, it's mythology. Like I said, is right up my alley. So yeah, I wouldn't mind giving that a shot too. And those of you who want it, it's not currently in print. You can't have it. What? It's coming oh. back. It's coming back. It's just it has to be reprinted. Okay. So if you see it right now, it's like a. The last one I looked was 130 bucks. It's normally it's normally about 65. So. <laughs> All right. The game that I picked here, I actually have. Oh, my correction. I had a first edition of this particular game. And unfortunately, in that first edition, it was missing some tiles that were you know, kind of important. I ended up having to contact the company, and it, it was not it was not good. Get it, trying to get these replacement tiles. I never got them all. And then they released a second edition, a newer printing of it, Betrayal at House on the Hill. I almost went with that one myself. I I was kind of mm, I wasn't sure if you're going to do it 
because this is a game that, as I said before, I enjoy games that don't take a very long time. And to me, a very long time is three plus hours is really kind of pushing it for me. Yeah, once you get to hour four, I'm probably completely disinterested and looking to take a nap. So the nice thing about Betrayal and House of the, uh, on the Hill is that it really, it really turns kind of a horror genre on its ear. It's a very interesting game in that it is cooperative up into a point. How does the game work? In the game, you start with a tile that is the main entrance of a house. Your characters that you select before you start to play all have a speed, which means that's the number of spaces that they can move through the house, barring any special situations where you have to stop and you know something happens. But that's the maximum that they can move uh, for their turn. So as you play you build the house and there are things about this house that won't make sense when you build it. There are some rooms that can be on the basement, the first floor or the second floor. There are some that are unique to just the basement, some that are unique to just the first floor and some that are unique to the second floor. But for the most part, a lot of them can be put in either or not either all three of the floors. So every time you play the house is different. So you can't really try to strategize, you know, I'm going to go to the left side of the house because more cool stuff happens over there. No, the house is different every time you play. And the other cool thing about this, like I said, it is cooperative up into a point. Now, the very unique thing about this game and the thing that really, really drew me in and made me want to own this game and not only own it once, but own it twice and get a second edition <laughs> version of the game, uh, which thankfully has all the tiles, so I don't have to worry about that. And I am trying to pull out a couple of things out of the box here so that I can show them to you if you're uh, watching on YouTube, and I will describe them. There are two booklets that are very important to this game, and one is the booklet for the trader. Now... As you play, as you build the house, there are event cards, there are omen cards, and there are, oh shoot, what is the other card? Uh, artifacts? Um, item cards, sorry. And there, okay. I'm going to hold this up here and hopefully you can see this. This is a chart. Certain things happen in the game. And if you get a specific item in a certain room and the haunt has been triggered, okay, Certain things have to happen for a haunt to be triggered, and that's the point where there's survivors or a survivor, and there is a traitor. And the traitor is the one that is trying to accomplish a goal. Okay, both sides are trying to accomplish a goal to either survive or and win the game or destroy everybody or accomplish another goal and win the game. Okay, now there are some cases where everybody's a survivor, and the... Uh, the, the villain, the traitor, is actually kind of uh, either a countdown to, a, to an event or some other thing. It's rare, but there's typically a person who is the traitor. And there are so many different scenarios. Uh, I'm just going to take a look through here. 
there are a total of, <laughs> here we go. There are a total of 50 haunts, 50. <laughs> that is amazing for a board game to have 50 different things that can happen. And, and I've had a situation where, you know, even though we've shuffled the cards really well, but I've played the game in two different instances, you know, like months apart where I've had the same haunt happen, but it's happened to a different person. And, you know, the house is laid out completely differently. So the game plays a little bit differently. You know, of course the objectives are still the same, but there's so much replayability to this game. It's just, it's so wonderful. It's really got its finger on the pulse of the horror genre. Each of the haunts, Either, you know, there's some haunts that are kind of a, a, a callback to Poe or Lovecraft or, you know, pick a great horror writer or a horror film director or something like that. There are so many different things that can happen in this game. The replayability, like I said, is just off the charts. 50 different haunts, 50 different things that can happen. <laughs> You know, sometimes one person is not the bad guy. Like I said, the 50th haunt is a treasure hunt. <laughs> and it's uh, pretty low key. There is no traitor in that one. And everybody needs to find specific treasure to win within a certain time period. There are miniatures that come with this game. Uh, I believe that they are like 28 millimeter in size. And they are plastic and it's like a professor, a priest, a little girl, an athletic guy. Looks like he's a you know teenage high school football player or a college football player. A number of different characters. And each of the characters have different ratings for their mental or physical abilities. There are some things that happen in the game which will cause you to lose sanity, to lose intelligence, to lose stamina, and to lose speed, or gain them. And uh, like I said, so many different things can happen in this game. The house is always changing every time you play. The replayability is, is insane. So for the amount of money that you spend for this game, and I can't recall what it is right now. $50. Um, okay, so for $50, look at it this way. It's a dollar a haunt. <laughs> um, and, and all the different ways that that can play out, who's the bad guy, you know, who the good guys are, how the house lays out. That's a hell of a bargain for a game that's easy to play, very straightforward. You know, it's not like, you know, I played some games and, and some of them are, I, I almost grabbed uh, a touch of evil by flying frog games. I love the flying frog games or last night yeah. on earth. I got to got finally got to play last night on earth and damn, is that a fine game that does take a little bit more doing. And there's, you know, the first time you play any board game, it's always, it's always a little slow because you're trying to go through the rules and, and, and figure stuff out. But you know, the flying frog games while they're fun are a little bit more intensive, but betrayal on house of the hill, you just dole out your stuff and you go. And you know, for, for the price you can't, you can't beat it so i i am a little sad in the new edition is that they fixed a printing error in the original edition and now you can no longer encounter the underground lake 
in the attic. Oh, I enjoyed that too. <laughs> and there were arguing with people about that. I'm like, it's a haunted house. It doesn't need to make sense. Yeah. Yeah, that was the beauty of it too. There were some, and and in the first edition, there was actually, you could go to the website for the game and you could print out errata. Everything that was either a misprint or after it was played more thoroughly, they went, yeah, that doesn't work. The underground lake, yeah, you know, that was just funny. And the the whole concept of, building the house that as you play i mean like i said there there are some it's like the winchester mansion sometimes <laughs> you know you'll 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 go down a corridor and you draw a tile and you know it's going to terminate there and then you have to go back you know it, it it doesn't always make sense and it's not supposed to because it's a it's a haunted crazy house like you know like the house movies okay i'm going to go back a ways you know like the william cat vehicle yes from the early 80s house that house did not make sense either and it wasn't supposed to so and i am done gushing over that game because i could tirelessly go on and on about how how wonderful it is but we are done with that and we are going to move to probably the more complex of the three Uh, although your choice might be very clear (laughs) and slightly biased but uh we are going to talk about our favorite rpg systems so uh, I'm going to have you go first. All right. So I don't play RPGs that much anymore. Yeah. Not because I don't enjoy them, just because I don't have I don't have the time and I, I don't have friends or the time to get together. I, I want to play RPGs more. I love role-playing games. I absolutely love them. The one I probably love the most would be Star Frontiers. Wow. Okay. I played the shit out of this game all through junior high um, and even a little bit into high school. I loved this game. It was it was sci-fi and because I played so much D&D for so long. Playing something else, it just captured me immediately. The the races, I mean, you've got the, the shape-changing dralocytes, you've got the insect people with the brusque, you've got the kind of flying monkey dudes that are the Azarians, and then you got the bad lizard people, the Sathar. It just, I absolutely loved this this game. Now, a lot of older role-playing games, the rule sets um, <laughs> leave a lot to be desired. I mean, so, I mean, looking back, I, I don't, I only have one of my original books. I have PDFs of a bunch of the stuff, which actually... A lot of the PDFs for the, all the basic rules, the expanded rules, a bunch of the modules, they're all available online. <laughs> uh, StarFrontiers.com has tons of them you can download. But it's just, you know, just the whole idea of, of taking off into space. I mean, this was this was long before I played, you know, I, well, before the Star Wars role-playing game was out. It was You didn't have a lot of options for role-playing games back in those days. Uh, you know, you sci-fi, you basically had Star Frontiers, you had, what, Traveler? And, you know, I didn't have an advanced degree in uh, Calculus, so Traveler was out. Um, uh, there was uh, Iron Crown there, Enterprises Space Master. Oh, God. Don't even... <laughs> I, I, ICE <clears throat> games... 
you know what ICE stood for? ICE charts everywhere. Yeah. There charts, were. charts, charts. Oh, you're using a blaster pistol shooting at a guy wearing a blade of armor at a range of 14 feet. Roll. Oh, and you're left-handed. Oh, so the enroll on chart 74C stroke LA4. I'm like, oh, my God. It's just book, books and books and books of charts and charts and charts and charts. Um, but Starfinger's was the one that really got, you know, really got my motor running back in those days. I just absolutely, I loved everything about it. The fact that uh, the box set originally, I mean, you got uh, fold-out maps with all the cardboard chits, you know, because you didn't have the minis for it when the game first came out, and you had, so you could do combat, you know, in, the, in a spaceport, and, you know, in, in like a sci-fi restaurant, and you're having a little shootout, and all this, it was just so much fun. I just, and, I mean, I played this at, over lunch, 7th, 8th grade, like, every day for two and a half years. Nice. Not that 7th grade took me two and a half years, but... Part of that was sixth. <laughs> Part of that was sixth grade as well. But yeah, I just did. Did you play Star from Truth, Brad? No, I never got the opportunity. Yeah, when when I was playing, it was um, my my game master was uh, Alan Gano, and he was he knew the iron crown enterprises stuff like the back of his hand, like he could just, you know, charts. He knew exactly where to go. Um, he's one of those people that highly creative, but loves math. He's just like one of those really rare and wonderful people that he could just spout out an idea and just riff. And he would know the back end part of the rules too, you know, just to, to make something work. And it was just beautiful. And he did space master and role master, uh, the, 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 the space and the fantasy versions of that. And, uh, then I did D and D. I did a little bit of top secret. Oh, I played a lot. If we, if we weren't playing star for we were playing top secret. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, af- after that, I really had a huge dry spell. And then I ran into, uh, met some people when I w- after I finished up school in lacrosse. And and they just, like, threw the doors open wide. I was playing Justifiers. I was playing Chill. Oh, yeah. I was playing all the different White Wolf products. Well, at the time, when I say the, all the different ones, it was, you know, Vampire and Werewolf. Yeah, that point and then god there were some other things too that just I, I became friends with somebody who owned his own gaming store so you know it just we were constantly gaming and if it wasn't you know a board game like axis and allies it was you know something else and uh it was just a magical time in my life where it was like, and you know, that's why I'm kind of jealous of what you do sometimes <clears throat> because you know, it's like, Oh, I want to check out this game. And it's not like, you know, it's right there <laughs> or you have, you know, all the information you can talk to, you know, whoever's distributing it or, you know, th- th- that's a lot of fun, but yeah, to make a long story short, no, Star Frontiers. I was always interested in it, and I remember seeing all the ads in the comic books at the time, but I never played it. All right. 
<sighs> You're missing out, man. Oh, and uh, the other cool thing of the so StarFrontiers.com also has copies you can read online of the Star Frontiers Choose Your Own Adventure books. <laughs> Villains of Alternus and yeah, super cool stuff. I yeah, I all of that stuff is just amazing. Finding you know, I always smile and laugh whenever I you know if I'm at a like a library selling old books and stuff like that, or just coming across a a copy of one of those at a Goodwill or some other thrift store. I'm always tempted to pick it up, but then I'm like, you know, I I would really like a kid to get that and just really experience the joy. I've already had that experience, and I really want somebody else to have it because it's just it, it was a way for you, especially you know, I lived out in a very rural area, and I, I was intrigued by games. I don't think I had quite played at that point, but to have that experience of you know picking and choosing something and and, and doing something based on that choice was just really, really fun. So I like check those out of the library constantly. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That and Encyclopedia Brown, because uh, I'm nerdy. Nothing wrong with that, Brad. No, no there isn't. <laughs> it's cool now, so there you go. Uh, you know, my choice for a favorite RPG system is, is complicated. <laughs> you know, it... If if it's a game that I run, then I would go with White Wolf. I enjoy the structure of of the White Wolf mythos, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the old man, on, uh, you know, telling the kids to get off my lawn. But the the original stuff, not not the new, you know, the World of Darkness, not the not the new mm-hmm. stuff. You know, uh, Ian says he he loves the new stuff. I haven't really had an opportunity to to give it a shot, you know, anybody else besides it. Cause I've invested so much money in it. I really can't, <laughs> I can't really spend more money to, to get into the newer stuff. And even if I did, I, I wouldn't really, I don't think I could really find anybody that would be interested in, in that locally to, to even play to it, to warrant that expenditure. But I mean, like I've got all the clan books, I had all the first versions and then they released up, Dates. So I bought all of those and, you know, I just spent a ridiculous amount of money on all the vampire stuff. Some of the werewolf, none of the mage, because I tried mage once and I'm like, this is a convoluted piece of garbage. The, the mummy stuff interested me, but I never really got into that. Yeah. Uh, Nor did the, I. The, the wraith system seemed interesting. Never really, I never tried that at all. And I ended up doing, I ended up doing a LARP where I played a vampire character, but you know there were changelings in it, and it just that got off the rails nuts. <laughs> yeah, so I do have some of the White Wolf LARP stuff too. But if it's a game that a game that I'm actually playing, you know, it's so much. Well, one, it's an entirely different experience if you're running it versus you're playing it, obviously. Yeah. So it, it's nice to be able to, and, and maybe that's laziness on my part. I have a better grasp of the rules for, for White Wolf. So I kind of default towards that universe. Uh, that said, you know, if it's, if it's Todd Roll <laughs> running it, uh, 
it's going to be it's going to be hero or or champions every time because um, his style and his passion for that game makes for a great gaming experience. If it's you know one of our regular Monday night gamers uh, gaming groups uh, games, you know if it's John Malik who's running it, then then Pathfinder. Actually, he ran a hell of a Conan game. Oh God, I remember that. Yeah, and it's a it's a fun system to play. You know, the cool thing about Conan is that magic is so it's reviled mm-hmm. <laughs> in the world, and yeah. then but to do magic, I mean, it's it's costly. You know, it's and it's not like you're not going to get like a chain lightning. You're not going to get the thunder and the awesome. You're going to get as I recall, and I've never really played a magic user in the game, but we had people that I think we had one person that had a magical, had magical ability and it was really subtle stuff. You know, it wasn't earth shattering. You weren't going to teleport anywhere. That was nothing that of that scale at all, as I recall. But um, yeah, I miss playing Conan. That was actually a fun game. I had a great thief character that I really enjoyed playing. (sighs) We could do we could do like a twelve hour episode on on the games that I miss playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's the hard part, especially for you. If you don't, I mean, you mentioned running stuff for your girlfriend and and her girls, you know. And I know that's one thing that John Malig always struggles with is, and and he enjoys taking a break from running stuff. You know, he's an exceptional game master, but you know that gets taxing after a while. It's nice to be able to actually play. And not have to do the prep, and not have to actually, you know, determine the outcomes of stuff, and not have to riff and and make stuff up on the fly. There's just there's a lot of responsibility to that. Either you know, just as the nature of the beast or perceived responsibility. So to actually get to play, yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, I could see you doing at least the twelve hour show on that. So. Every every year at Gen Con, it was the find at least one game you'd never heard of before. Usually that guy, you know, that one or two guys who made their own indie RPG, especially back in those days when it was not. You didn't have print-on-demand. Yeah. And we would pick them up. Uh, me and uh, Jeff Baldersdorf and our friend Eric, we would pick up. That's where we first got Justifiers and Mutazoids. And that's where I first ran across Macho Women with Guns. Just these <laughs> games that you wouldn't have found otherwise. Yeah. Uh, Justifier is such a days. great concept. It was. Uh, for those of you that have never, maybe ever heard of it, uh, Justifiers was a sci-fi futuristic system where you made a character who is a kind of a, a, a humanoid-animal hybrid so you could be a, and, and you didn't like shape shift from a human form or whatever. No, you were genetically grown as a humanoid being who was, you know, a tiger or a bear or some animal. And yes, you got some of the skills and abilities, but the thing about it is, is you are grown and that is expensive. And companies, major corporations do exploration and uh, mining and gathering resources and stuff, as I recall, 
<clears throat> and you are basically a slave to the company. Yes, you can work your debt off to the company and become a free being, but God help you. It was expensive and it was going to take a very long time to do if you survive that long. And if you ever were seriously hurt and had, you know, major healing done, or if you had a, had to put a cyber limb on because you got an arm cut off, that was tacked on to the expense of you becoming free. So yeah, you could you could trick yourself out with cyber eyes and cyber arms and cyber pancreas, whatever. It was all added to your total tab. And that was the amount that you would have to pay off to become free. And the person that ran that for us, Jeff Drzinski, was he's the one that owned the game store in lacrosse. Um what was it? Next Generation Hobbies, yes. And uh just oh god, he 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 was a heck of a Heck of a storyteller, but uh, just vicious, you know. <laughs> At certain points, it's like, well, you made that choice. Okay, here it comes. You know, <laughs> there wasn't really a reprieve. He was very, very big on the concept of consequences for choices. But he he ran Justifier, and Justifiers was kind of math intensive, as I recall, in character creation. To actually do what you needed to do, I don't remember it being overly math intensive, but. It was a very interesting and fun concept to play. And it was kind of a, you know, at that point in my life, I was playing pretty much exclusively vampire or werewolf uh, in regular games. So it was really a great change of pace to do something that different. Yeah, I mean, I was was pretty much, man, college then, I was pretty much exclusively D&D and Champions and Marvel and Shadowrun. And Battletech, and Cyberpunk 2020, and yeah. Chill, and Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, and I forgot about that. Yeah, I ended it. Star yeah. Wars, and I just <laughs> it. There was not my GPA suffered a bit because I could find, <laughs> I could find a role playing game to play every night of the week. Sure. Yep. Um, and it was like with like almost no effort, I could find a game I could get in on. So, ah. Uh, the glory days when I couldn't afford to buy the books and I had all the time and now I can afford to buy the books and I don't have the time. <laughs> that and there's, with Kickstarter and stuff, there's a new RPG every, uh, let's see, if I can pull up the stat here, I think it's every 11 seconds. There's a new RPG published every 11 seconds. At least that's what it feels like. I can't keep up anymore. <laughs> I just can't. And I added to, I added to it. And I'm adding a second edition to it. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I sh- boy, during that time in my life, let's see. I was either, yeah, I was playing second edition D&D regularly. Uh, Vampire, Werewolf. Uh, I got uh, uh, Cyberpunk. And then like Shadowrun started to come out at about that point in time. Yep. I wanted to play a Decker so bad. I'm like, yeah. Want to use a computer and go into the internet, and what a crap mechanic! And just everything stops. You know, yep. every everybody else who is not a decker just basically goes and makes a sandwich, or you know, takes a nap while you run around on the internets and uh, do what you got to do. And yeah, that would just that was that was terrible. 
Let's see, chill and what is um crap? I, I want to say it's it's not it wasn't GDW, it was um uh, conspiracy uh, <laughs> uh, and I love the game. Um it was post-apocalyptic. It was definitely Gamma World? No. Um, God, and they even released books. Dark um, Conspiracy? Dark Conspiracy, thank you. Yep. Uh, that game setting was amazing. Yeah, there were Torg. Remember Torg? I love that one. That was West End Games. That was the Possibility Wars, where these different alternate realities were invading Earth. Yeah, so okay. Midwest became like a prehistoric yep. world, and you had the cyber papacy, and yeah, so many, so many games that I miss. I, and I wish there's a part of me that wishes I still had all because I had tons of books. Sure. I don't have any of them anymore. Uh, it was amazing because the '90s, and I, I wish I knew more of the history, but the '90s was just like this exploding renaissance of RPGs. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It definitely um, was. I played uh, Star Wars, one of the, you know, I'm sure there's five different companies that's had the license now, but uh, I remember playing Star Wars uh, at that point in the early 90s. It would have been like 92, 93. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that was just amazing. And And now, thanks, you know, like we've said before, the reason why we talk about Kickstarter is, you know, it's helping kind of produce another renaissance of, of independent board games and, and, and RPGs. Yeah. Um, and that's, that was such an exciting, you know, the, the, the early, <laughs> the early nineties was an exciting time for games. Uh, and it's nice to see that coming back around again and being able to share that with folks. So that's why we, that's why we talk about it. So, yeah, I said I was going to pick a game system. I guess if I'm running to make a long story much, much shorter, uh, White Wolf. But if I'm playing, it really depends on on the game master and what systems they're more comfortable with because that passion, that comfort really allows that person to, to shine as a, as a storyteller mm-hmm. uh, because they're using a vehicle that they're very comfortable and, and confident in using. So, so there you go. All right. I think we've we can wrap that one up. We're going to talk a little bit about Hello, My Name Is. Uh, it's your opportunity to tell us about a favorite character uh, that you have or you're currently playing, you've played in the past, that you loved dearly. And you can go to the Galactic Netcasts website at galacticnetcasts.com and you can find Adventure Party. And on the Adventure Party page, you can find a link to hello, my name is, and you can fill out the information. Yes, we do ask for your email address. No, we do not spam you. I don't have a service that I pay for to do any outgoing email to waste anybody's time. Uh, It's merely a way for us. If we choose your character to mail you, or I'm sorry, email you a PDF of a suitable for framing certificate saying, that you were chosen and your character were chosen to be talked about on the adventure party for hello. My name is so yeah, that's, that's it for this episode. A few of our favorite things that we talked about in different games, uh, game types, card games, board games, and RPGs and what we, what we like, what we're passionate about and what you should check out. 
uh, given the chance, given an opportunity. Uh, the games we talked about, mine were, so now I have to think, Give Me the Brain, <laughs> Betrayal at House on the Hill, and, uh, well, I talked about a few, but we'll go with uh, White Wolf. We'll go with, um, actually, the game system in White Wolf that I'm going to be running that Dirgewood campaign is Hunter's Hunted 2nd Edition, which was done, it was licensed through White Wolf, but it was done through Onyx River, and they updated they updated a lot of the Hunter's Hunted that was done in, in 1992. I talked about this before, but they did a hell of a job and it, it's, it's a thing of beauty. And, um, that white wolf system to me, uh, I'm very comfortable with and, and I enjoy the, the mythos that that's inside of it. And there's so much room to play in it. So, and your choices uh, again, Glenn were, uh, card game was abyss board game was Yggdrasil and, Role-playing game was Star Frontiers. All right. So there you go. Uh, you can find the Adventure Party by going to galacticnetcasts.com, and there you can find all of our social media outlets, our YouTube channel where uh, we do the live, unedited version of this show. The edited version sounds so much better than, than this uh, sometimes train wreck, like uh, today's show was, uh, was a little bit of a train wreck. So uh, there you go. If you want to hear it live and or uncut, unedited in its raw quote-unquote glory uh, you can check it out on youtube at youtube.com slash galactic netcasts uh, if you're using itunes or stitcher please take a moment and give us a little bit of feedback uh, let us know what you like what you would like more of maybe maybe you'd like less of something let us know uh, your participation can really help make for a better show and we'd really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to give us a, a review and, and rate us. That would be cool, too. I'm not going to ask you to give us a five-star rating. That's <laughs> To me, that's a little pretentious. You rate us what you think we're worth, and, and we'll call that good. Uh, you taking the time to rate uh, the show. Hopefully, you feel it's worthwhile to give it a higher rating. But if you rate the show, that helps kind of get the wheels in motion to you know, like iTunes and Stitcher, the, the more something is rated, the more it gets shown to other people. So uh, we would always love to grow the adventure party to have more members. So you taking the time to do that would definitely help make that possible. And we greatly appreciate you taking the time to do that. You can leave us feedback by emailing galacticnetcasts at gmail.com or you can call 805-328-3966. That number is, uh, again, is 805-328-3966. And you can leave a message or you can text that number, which is kind of cool. You can also go to the galacticnetcasts.com website. And on the right-hand side is a, um, a link because we have a WordPress plugin that allows you, if you have a microphone attached to your computer, to just leave a voice feedback piece uh, right directly on the website. It's less time, less hassle than writing an email. Just uh, click it and go. We did get a piece of feedback that I wanted to share, which is awesome. I'm glad that somebody took the time to do that. Uh, the person that uh, left us the feedback is Harrison Benton. <laughs> Perhaps that name is, uh, uh, the last name at least, is familiar to some. Uh, our uh, second episode guest was uh, Rob Benton. And our fifth episode guest was Ian Benton. Uh, as you can guess, Harrison is definitely related. He is Rob's son. And he's 
15, 14 or 15. Gosh, I've Shut lost. Up. I know. <laughs> I remembered when I changed his diaper and you see now he's going to listen to this and he's going to be like, Oh God, uncle Brad's talking about changing my diaper. That sucks. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but no, uh, Harrison, you know, uh, left a, a piece of feedback. He said, it's awesome to listen to Brad and I look forward to it every week. Keep it up. Thank you, Harrison. I really appreciate that. You still have uh, time for your old Uncle Brad to listen to him ramble about RPG games. Uh, it means a lot. It really does. Thank you. Yeah, that's a wrap. Before, Actually, before we go, where can people find more about your YouTube movie reviews and more about Mistrunner? Mistrunner, you can find Mistrunner.com. The only thing active at the moment is actually on, the, as on Facebook. Just look for Mistrunner RPG. B-Movie Bunker you can find on Facebook, B-Movie Bunker, or on YouTube, the channel is Naked Hobo Productions. Or just follow me on Twitter, at Naked Hobo. <laughs> yes, please do, because Glenn is, as you can tell, a very entertaining dude, and uh, he has some great reviews of some wonderful and sometimes wonderful in quotes B-Movies. That uh, definitely worth uh, checking out. And you've been doing the reviews for how many years now? Uh, about three, three and a half. I have okay. the the reviews I have for the B movie bunker. I have two hundred and seventy two or something like that. And then you know, I I do less than I used to because I'm also because I'm doing so many podcasts now too. Sure, yeah. Yep. I've got three or four movie podcasts plus this podcast plus <laughs> this job thing that I do. What? So, yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. Being an adult really kind of sucks, doesn't it? I, I want to win the lottery, like <laughs> a, bi- a big lottery, so that I can obviously, one, not work <laughs> and just play games, but I want enough money where I can then just have all my friends play games with me and be like, what's your old job pay you? I can match that. Just come over and play games. <laughs> I, <laughs> I would definitely jump in on that. I, I've even paid benefits. What? Nice. Well, that's sitting, sitting around your heart's going to just get huge. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, I guess that's a wrap for this particular uh, meeting of the Adventure Party. Uh, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day or evening to uh, listen to us and may your characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Thank you and good night. You have been listening to a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. For more about the show you just listened to, including how to subscribe, give us feedback, links to our social feeds, and more, please visit www.GalacticNetcasts.com. <laughs>